Hello and welcome to the 94 Feet Report NBA Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, as always, Eric Spropolis. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros MBA. Um, it is Sunday, November 26th. We're recording this at night, 10 o'clock Eastern time. Um, so most of the stats that we compiled for this episode were taken down before Sunday's games, but there were only a three games that were not that significant. So no big deal when you listen to this on Monday morning. Um, we are back. We didn't have an episode last Thursday because it was Thanksgiving. I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving holiday with uh, friends and family. There wasn't really any NBA, uh, but this past weekend had a lot of games, and obviously we have a lot to talk about because it's been a week. Um, and moving forward, we'll go back to our regular episodes. Before we get in and before we get Corbin um, on with us, I want to mention that, or I want to you know remind you guys that you can still get some really awesome NBA merchandise on our T Public store. I've been tweeting out the links on my Twitter and, and retweeting them from the site's Twitter account at the 94 Feet Report. Um, or you can uh, check the link in the description of this podcast episode. All shirts and really all merchandise is on sale for, I guess it's Cyber Monday slash Black Friday from last week. Um, so you can get stuff as, for as low as $14. And there's a lot of great designs. And, and that'd be a great way to help out the show and our website, 94FeetReport.com. But then also just get yourself some really cool NBA merchandise. So enough promotions, enough, you know, rambling corbin how you doing tonight i'm doing all right man a little still a little full from the turkey you know it's <laughs> kind of sluggish but gotta get into the week you know exactly i'm running on like five hours of sleep because i was traveling to from from home back to school for my my thanksgiving break ended so i'm pretty tired but uh you know i've had some coffee today so i'm ready to get through this uh episode got a lot to talk about because it's been a week i know there you know tuesday there was only one game bulls lakers and then thursday on thanksgiving there were no games but they made up for it with friday and saturday each having like at least 11 games, I think, on both nights. Um, with that being said, I think we should just get straight into the baseline question. We'll be right back with the baseline question in just a moment. And now it's time for the baseline. Okay, so for those who are not familiar with the show, each week um, Corbin and I take turns coming up with a baseline question for the other. This week it was my turn, so Corbin, my baseline question to you um, is which team, and I'll, I'll mention the teams I have listed, which of these teams do you think is most likely to turn things around? Or, or basically, who do you, which team do you have the most confidence in moving forward? And the three options I have are the Grizzlies, the Magic, and the Clippers. Now, the Grizzlies are 7-12. and They've lost eight straight games. They lost to the Nets today just before we started recording. They were, and they were just, I was on Twitter just before we started recording, and there was a report that Marcus O was angry, and he basically called out the Memphis um, coaching staff for benching him in the fourth quarter um, down the stretch of that game. They're now 7-12. and They've lost eight straight. They don't have Mike Conley for the foreseeable future. They're in a big rut, and they're falling down the Western Conference standings pretty quickly. A similar team with the Orlando Magic. Of course, we spend a lot of our early episodes in the first uh, part of the season talking about the Magic and their hot start. They've now lost eight straight as well. They're 8-12 and 12 and they're quickly falling to the bottom of the Eastern Conference standings. And finally, the Clippers who are 7-11, 2-8 in their last 10 games. They lost Beverly for the whole season um, a couple days ago, which really you know, I shed a tear in that when I heard about that news. Um, they also <laughs> got Gallinari out. They've been dealing with a bunch of injuries as well. Um, so those are the three options. I excluded the Thunder from this list because I know they're struggling. At their, what, they're 8-11 and 11, um, and they just got blown out by the Mavs of all teams, but I still think that the general consensus is that most people still expect them to be a top five seed, you know, eventually figure things out. You know, I think that the Grizzlies, Magic, and Clippers are all teams that people weren't really sold on coming into the season, and obviously it's proving to be true. So which team do you have the most confidence in to turn things around moving forward? Okay, so I, I looked at all three teams. I, I was especially giving some notice to the Memphis Grizzlies, and I think that's the team I'm going to end up with, only because... With the Magic, we know they're they're they're. We I've said it the last. We've both been talking about the last two weeks regressing to the mean, but now it's just uh, they're internalizing problems. I've seen a couple of articles talking about how um, the coaching to hold the team accountable, how they need to step up. They're starting to freak out from what <laughs> I've been seeing. So I'm okay. Like okay, now they're definitely you know going back to where they were at the beginning of this year. They obviously played above their heads. The Clippers, I don't know. This last they had a win against the Kings yesterday, but that I feel. They were down. They they clawed back. Then the Kings went on a 10-0 run to take the lead. And then Blake Griffin had just this great late-game jumper to kind of seal the deal. However, with Patrick Beverly being gone and the myriad of injuries that always seem to hit L.A., I, I don't have trust in them. The Grizzlies, I'm taking only because, and, and Mike Conley, you know, there is no timetable on he'll be back. But for right now, at least he will be back. And... 
I'm a, like you said, touching this later, but I, I think that with with Mike Conley's return, the Grizzlies will sort of stabilize offensively. They've just been in a rut, and again, I'll go into this later. But in all their losses, they just seem to have a lack of focus on the offensive end. Defensively, they're kind of following Marco Saul, and and Marco Saul as a leader is a lot more emotional. I don't know. He's he's a lot. I don't. I don't really have trust him as a leader. I don't know. Like you say, called the coaching staff. He was talking beginning of the year how you know they might have to make some changes if if they're losing a lot more than expected. I don't know. I think when the ship goes down, you know, with with just Gasol on board, he may check out. But if they do have Conley back, just his leadership, his 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 poise, what he brings offensively, I, I think that'll be enough. But but what do you think? I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of just talking from the top of my head. I think right off the bat, I'm going to eliminate the magic just because I just don't think they have, they just straight up don't have the talent. I mean, I like Aaron Gordon. I like Evan Fournier. I like some of their pieces. Uh, I, Jonathan Isaac, who's missed, I think, seven straight games with an ankle injury or something like that. I, I think he has great potential. Yeah. But overall, I just don't think they have the top end talent to just turn things around and be a playoff team, which is why their, their start was so surprising. So right off the bat, I'm going to eliminate them. And then deciding between the Grizzlies and Clippers is like picking your poison because both teams, are going to struggle with injuries. <laughs> they already have. I mean, losing Beverly is huge for the Clippers. I don't. Someone uh, had tweeted out the stat that they outscore teams by 4.5 points per 100 possessions when he's on the floor. And when he's off the floor, they get outscored by like 5 points per, per 100 possessions. It's, it's like that dramatic of a turnaround for Beverly. And of course, Tia Dosich is still out. So, you know, Gallinari is still out. And the big thing with the Clippers is that they haven't had the Blake Griffin injury yet. And in the past three years, he's missed at least 15 games in each season. So you kind of have to assume, I don't want to say he's going to get injured, but based off that, you kind of have to assume that he's going to get banged up and miss, you know, five to 10, anywhere up to 15 games. And that's that's just going to kill them without Blake Griffin. I mean, they're going to be abysmal, especially offensively. Um, but the Grizzlies, I mean, this Conley injury, this I think it's the Achilles. He's been dealing with that for a couple of years now. I've had him on a fantasy team. That's why I know he's been dealing with it. It's really been frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. that really concerns me because as you'll get into it later, and I'll get into the Grizzlies a little bit more later as well, when they lose Conley and, you know, it, it, you can say, oh, they still got Marcus Oles and, you know, all-star, all M- former all-NBA center, but it's easier for teams to you know crowd around Gasol when they're when he's su- supported by Mario Chalmers, Tyreek Evans, you know um, James Ennis, Chandler Parsons. These guys were you know not really proven, past their prime, injury prone, stuff like that. Um, again, in our last episode or maybe the previous one, we talked about how bad their defense has been this month, um, and it hasn't gotten that much better. And just you know, you mentioned Marcus Gasol, kind of he could be leading the ship, you know. To, to sink. I mean, that's that's kind of a, a possible idea there if they continue to lose at this rate. And who knows? Conley could be out for another month, or maybe he could come back in two weeks, and we could all they can go on a, a five game winning streak and be back to where they were before. So I think, <laughs> I think ultimately, I know it's risky, but I think I'm going to go with the Clippers just because. And this is funny because I'm going to my half court heave is going to be about you know the Clippers and Grizzlies combined. But um, I think that. I hope for Blake Griffin to stay healthy. I hope they get Gallo and Teodosic back, and I think they'll have enough playmaking offensively to make up for what they lack when by losing Beverly and you know maybe potentially losing Griffin down the road. So ultimately, I'm going to go with the Clippers, um, but I don't feel good about it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You kind of threw all these three teams, and I looked for them, and I was like, wow. I mean, all these are rough. Yeah. And then for whatever reason, I had a thought in my head that, I don't know where I read it, and it turns out I didn't read it from anywhere. I just kind of thought it up, I guess, that Conley would be back before the year. I was like, oh, he'll be back. He'll be fine. And so I'm looking it up, trying to, like, make sure I don't sound like an idiot, you know, on the pod. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, he'll be reevaluated. I said, wow, I'm so glad I checked that. And then yeah. after, after that, all through, like, a, a crapshoot, you know. So <laughs> that's interesting. But um, I'm glad we had that – was a, that was a great question. I'm glad we were able to kind of look into those three for a brief moment. And now I think we're going to roll on over to the full court press. So let's do it. Get ready, because it's time for the full court press. All right. So, Eric, I know you prepared the question here for us. I'm just going to kind of introduce it and let you go on and, and, and explore it a little further. But with most teams now being in 20 games or so, um, we're going to reevaluate our playoff predictions or based off what we've seen, what they would be. So I'm going to let you kind of go into that a little more, and I'll take it off from you. <laughs> all right. All right. So uh, I figured we'd start with the Eastern Conference. And so basically what we're going to do is um, I don't think I ever 
actually wrote down what my playoff predictions were, but it's still so early in the season that I remember what they what teams I had in. Um, I never really mm-hmm. didn't order. I never really predicted a one through eight order. I just predicted which eight teams would make it in each conference. So um, let's start with the East, and I'll just name off the eight teams that, based off twenty games so far, and twenty games is a pretty good sample size. You know, we're, we're not we're not at that ten game mark. We're at twenty games now, so you know, statistics are are starting to get kind of reasonably to expect for the rest of the season. Um, teams are kind of. You know, obviously, a lot of teams are dealing with injuries, so that affects a lot of teams, especially in the West, like we just talked about in the in the uh, baseline question. But twenty games is a pretty good sample. So in the East, I got in in no particular order, but this could end up being the order anyways. I've got the Celtics, the Cavs, Raptors, Wizards, Pistons, 76ers, Bucks, and Heat. Um, so before I, I turn to you for your eight teams, I'll just explain. Just briefly, why I have those teams. So I didn't. I actually didn't have the 76ers in before the season. I had the Hornets instead of them. That's really the only change. I had the other seven before the season started. And my thing with the Hornets is that they just can't seem to put it together. I mean, they're getting Nicholas Batum back finally, and he has to play well because they're so dependent on Kemba Walker that if Kemba Walker has a bad night, they're basically toast offensively. And you know, Dwight Howard will give you a good game here or there, and he'll contribute some defensively here or there, but he's still not the same Dwight Howard, so you can't count on him every night. And then I think it was Matt Moore or. Uh, better known as Hardwood Paroxysm on Twitter, who had tweeted out that the Hornets are 0-12 in the past two seasons combined in games decided by three points or less. They just can't win in close games this past season. And you have to do that if you're going to win. I mean, you have to, you know, at least be like 500 in those types of games um, to make the playoffs in any conference, regardless of the East, if people think it's weaker. And this so far season, this season, the East actually hasn't been weaker than the West, which is actually pretty funny. Um, <laughs> but... So for that reason, I can't trust the Hornets because they're just too reliant on Kemba Walker. If he goes down with an injury, if he even misses like two weeks like Conley, I think the Hornets are toast. The Pacers are interesting because they're currently in the playoff picture and they've got a really, really good offense. I believe I have it in front of me. The Pacers have the sixth best offense in the league. Um, and I think that they can use that offense to win a bunch of games. I mean, not, not a bunch, but like, you know, low 40s. I don't think they have enough top talent to make it. Ultimately, I was deciding between them and the Heat, and I just, I just think the Heat will be able to grind out enough wins. You know, Eric Sprostra, I think, is a better coach. Um, you know, they've still got Goran Dragic, who can take over a game. Hassan Whiteside can contribute some nice role players like James Johnson. Deion Waiters can go off like he did against uh, the Celtics to end their winning streak. Um, so for that reason, I, t- I chose the Heat over the Pacers. And then really, the other, the top six is pretty confident for me. I mean, Celtics, Cavs, Raptors, Wizards, Pistons. And 76ers, I think at this point, it's pretty easy and confident to make to pick them as surefire locks for the playoffs. Of course, if MB goes down, that changes everything. But assuming they stay relatively healthy, all those teams, I think those teams would round out my top eight. So, so who do you have as your eight teams in the East and, and a little bit of why you have them? Okay, so I have Celtics, obviously Cavs, Wizards, Raptors. Although I do have the Wizards... I, I have the Raptors ahead of the Wizards now, just in lieu of the John Wall injury. Um, going into the playoffs, we'll see how that goes. Pistons, 76ers, and then Bucks. And then with the Heat, Pacers, and Hornets, for me, that was all a toss-up. Um, yeah. As far as the Pacers are concerned, I, I just don't trust a Nate McMillan coach team. And yeah, the Pacers have been just amazing offensively, given their expectations. They're ninth in pace. They're eighth in offensive rating. They're, they're really in, in, in middle of the pack in defensive rating. They're, they're really solid on that. But you just, I think they have pay- players playing over their heads just mm-hmm. a lot. I mean, Lance Stevenson came with just this heroic performance in the fourth quarter down the stretch against the Raptors to eke a win against them. And that was after Victor Oladipo had been down, had gone down with the knee injury. And so he's in question for the next couple of games, but even Victor Oladipo's play, he's been a strong number one option for them, but is it sustainable? He's averaging 22.8 points per game and shooting a whopping 44.9% from three. Yeah. That's and, not, and that's my, not going to continue. I hate to break it to Pacers hey, fans. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, the points average might say the same just because uh, he's geared, especially Miles Turner. He's kind of like the 1A one, one kind of offensive option for them. But obviously, a three-point shooting, that that's white hot right now. That's going to go down. That's like Tobias Harris three-point shooting right yeah. now. But um, And then also, we're going to see how Indiana holds up with Oladipo being down. We're not sure exactly how long. It's kind of up in the air from what I've been seeing. Um, his status is uncertain for Monday's game against the Magic. And then moving forward, we'll see. But with the Hornets, I, I I don't know. Obviously, them playing down the stretch in close games, they, they've they had both against the Cavs, which were just unsettling. They could have won both of those games fairly easily if they just locked down defensively in that fourth quarter. Instead, they let Cleveland get back into it, and then Cleveland took over in this most recent one this past week. But 
with Nicholas Batum coming back, I'm looking at the the glass half full side of it all because I'm thinking that with him being back fully healthy as a, a secondary playmaker, as a, as a good shooter, you know, we'll see how he works with Dwight Howard. Um, I trust Steve Clifford just in general as a coach to kind of get it all together. And yeah, they, they've been having trouble closing out close games, but the difference between their record and the Pacers right now is only three or four games from what I last checked. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking that if the Pacers go back down to the mean and the Hornets play at least a little bit, I don't want to say up to expectations because I think they're kind of playing where they are, but if they kind of tighten up on some of these close games and take, I don't know, two out of every three close when they get, if they just get a little tighter on that end, I think that they could sneak in. I think their talent is better than the Pacers just let's say, with the top, with their offensive five, I think, personally. And if they do get it together, which I think they can, they can only go up. Where with the Pacers, I think they can only go downhill from there. I don't think they're going to be any better than they are now. I'm not sure if I'm if this is making any sense just coming <laughs> from me. This is my logic here, but what do you think about that? So uh, so you... So you're so is this you're deciding between the Hornets and Pacers for the A seed, or is this is there another team? So who would, who is your seventh yeah. again? Oh, the seven was the Heat. Okay, so the Heat. So you have the so you have Celtics, Cavs, Raptors, Wizards, Pistons. Oh, my fault. Oops, no, I'm sorry. Seventh was the Bucks. I was fighting for the last three for the the Heat, Pacers, mm, and Hornets. Okay, yeah. Okay. Okay. So okay. So Heat, Pacers, and Hornets. Yeah. Um, it's tough. I mean, I I like. I mean, obviously, I like the Hornets enough because I picked them to make the playoffs before the season started. So I want to feel confident in them. I mean, right now they have the 18th ranked offense according to offensive rating, and then they have the 15th ranked defense. So they're about league average overall. I mean, I mean, even their net rating is 0.1, which is, you know, basically average. Um, but they can't win those close games, which is why they're 8-11, which is why their record was so poor last year. They had a positive net rating last year. And I remember this because it was so freaky because they had a positive, like a one-point-something net rating, but they were like nine games under 500 because they could never win close games. So, of course, if that oh, wow. changes, maybe Batum helps out there. Um, I don't know what else they could have that could help them out there, but... If they can win a couple more close games, you know, they're 500 basically, and that's probably what it will take to go in the East. But I think that I, I think that I just think that the Heat will grind out enough wins. I mean, obviously, the Heat do not win pretty. I mean, the Heat have the 25th ranked no. offense. I mean, the 25th ranked offense, yeah. they have the 11th ranked defense, um, and they have a negative net rating. So they haven't, you know, been great, but yet they're still 10 and 9 because they're just grinding out wins, um, which is why <laughs> I have a little bit more confidence in them moving forward. Um, and, you know, I, I know I'm confidently predicting the Bucks to make the playoffs because, you know, they have Giannis, they have so much, you know, they have Bledsoe now, Chris Middleton, um, they're going to get back, you know, they're going to get Parker back sometime, maybe January, February, but I do want to talk about the Bucks because they're 9-9, nine and nine, and there are some issues there. I mean, I know obviously everyone saw the, the video of Giannis yelling at his assistant coach that he's going to F him Ooh. up, um, but... I'm, regardless of that, I want to tell you what their starting lineup was against the Jazz. Now, we're trying to surround... The, the idea is to sa- surround Giannis with shooters and capable defenders, but mostly shooters, especially to take advantage of Giannis's passing and playmaking and because he can't shoot that well himself. So he's the, the Bucks, Jason Kidd specifically, surrounded Giannis with the lineup of Eric Bledsoe, Gary Payton II, Chris Middleton, and John Henson. Now... I'm not sure what he was thinking. I know Gary Payton the second only played seven minutes, but he did start the game. I'm not sure what kid was trying to do there. He took Tony Snell out of the lineup, um, out of the starting lineup. He did end up playing 38 minutes himself, and Brogdon played 27 minutes. Um, but if the Bucks don't really figure out what to do with Giannis and how to build a competent team around him, I know he's signed for an extension, but you know things get ugly. Like ugly as in like they disappoint and don't make the playoffs. Ugly as Giannis publicly slanders the team and which is why I think that they could go through a stretch where they you know they lose more than they should they disappoint and Giannis publicly kind of bashes kid and that leads the, to a coaching change which obviously as you know I've been a big proponent of for the whole season um, <laughs> but I just wanted to mention that because I know everyone's confidently picking the Bucks to make the playoffs and, and I still am too they are 500 I think the talent will win out but I think that Jason Kidd and their coaching staff could hold them back by doing these weird experiments I would say but ultimately I think they'll yeah. make it in Oh, no, I'm sorry. No, I'm, I'm definitely with you. And it was weird because didn't DeAndre Liggins get more playing time? Well, not get more playing time, but he was off the bench first before Malcolm Brogdon in one of these past games this week. And I was sitting there going, why? I, I don't know. Is Coach Kidd actively trying to get fired? Like, it, some of these moves just don't make sense. Even if you're thinking, okay, 
when I saw Gary Payton in the second, and I was all right, is he good defensively? Is Are they trying to give him a different look? Are they just trying to give him some minutes for, you know, maybe he earned a spot in practice or something? Even then, I'm sorry, you're trying to win the game. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're trying to stylistically play in, in a spot soothing, or not soothing, but in a spot that's suitable for Giannis. This isn't about moral victories and, yeah, you did a good job in practice. And this is all theoretical, in my opinion, of course, what I'm saying, but why i don't know it's really funky what coach kid is doing and and you're right it may come down it may come up to a head real quick because (laughs) yeah i just want to mention one more thing the bucks uh the bucks are known for this like really aggressive style of defense where they like to trap you know ball handlers especially in the pick and roll i don't i don't know why they do it they try and use their length to create turnovers and steals um but it's not working they have a 22nd ranked (laughs) defense right now and there was uh i can't remember someone tweeted out that it was like, oh, I'm shocked. I mean, I, I'm i not used to the seeing the Bucks trap Ricky Rubio out of the pick and roll like he's going to be a threat. Oh, my God. Because, I saw no, that. Because every other team just leaves Rubio alone. But the Bucks, because that's the way they play their defense, really aggressive, trying to trap, you know, cause problems with their length and how much length they have, Milton, Giannis, et cetera, Bledsoe. But that doesn't work. I'm, I'm not sure, like, how long it'll take Jason Kidd to realize that they can implement a better defensive scheme and not be 22nd defensively, which will obviously hurt them in the regular season and in the playoffs. Exactly. And I think that's a sign of poor coaching because you have to tailor your coaching style to your personnel to a certain extent. You play Ricky Ruby a little bit better than you play Steph Curry. At least you would hope you would, you know. This is not 2K. You know, you give a general defensive scheme. So that is concerning, man. But I'm right there with you. You've been (laughs) calling for Coach Kidd to (laughs) kind of take a hike for a while now. So I see where you're coming from. (laughs) Um, Okay. So, yeah. All right. So. A good amount of talk on the East. Let's get to the West because I think it's very interesting. The bottom of the West is extremely interesting to me. Um, so my eight for the West are Warriors, Rockets, Spurs, Timberwolves, Thunder, Blazers, Nuggets, and Pelicans. So I didn't – I'll admit I didn't have the Blazers or Pelicans in the playoffs before the season. I had the Clippers and Jazz there. Um, but Portland has been really impressive. I mean they had that good win against the Nets and they followed up on the second night of a back-to-back with a win against the Wizards in D.C. I know Wall was out, but still on a second night of a back-to-back, it's pretty impressive. But the most surprising thing about the Blazers is that they have the third-ranked defense. No one expected the Blazers to have the third-ranked defense um, this season. So that's they're, they're really winning games – with their defense because their offense is 20th in the league. And you would think a team with Lillard and McCollum wouldn't be 20th offensively. Um, but, you know, it's their defense that's really winning them the games. Um, with the Pelicans, the Boogie and Brew, uh, Brow, I don't know why I said Brew, Boogie and Brow duo <laughs> has done enough so far. Obviously, we all know the biggest storyline is that they have no supporting cast around them. And Drew Holiday has been pretty hit or miss, but mostly missed this season. Um, but, you know, DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis have done enough to carry them so far. And the question is that they have to stay healthy. Both of those two big men and the supporting cast have to stay healthy. And, of course, their secret MVP, Omar Ashik, one of my favorite players of all time, has <laughs> returned finally. Uh, I, was just, I was crying tears of joy on, uh, I think it was Friday night when he returned and played like 11 minutes or something like that. And it was just so great to see him, see him back. So he's their secret MVP, so that's why they're going to make the playoffs. <laughs> but seriously, I think the Pelicans can make it in just because of, of Cousins and Davis and because they'll take advantage of teams like the Nuggets, Grizzlies, and Clippers who are all dealing with injuries. I think the Nuggets will have, they have enough to make up for Millsap being out for three months, which is a lot of time for their you know, their second best player. Um, but I think with Nikola Jokic leading the way, all those guards, Murray, Harris, Barton, maybe Fareed can kind of reinsert himself and kind of establish himself and build up his trade value again. I think they have enough to make up for that injury to Millsap. But the Grizz and Clippers, as we talked about in the first segment and we'll talk about in later segments, um, I think they have they have too many injuries and just too much risk involved. Obviously, I mentioned that Blake Griffin hasn't been injured yet. That's probably going to happen for at least five to ten games this year. Um, and same with the Jazz. Rudy Gobert still out. But even with Gobert, I just think they don't have enough talent, especially offensively, to carry them throughout the course of a season. I think they'll probably finish short, like ninth or 10th. But ultimately, I think the Grizz, Jazz, and Clippers just have too many injuries, too much risk, um, too many gaping holes in the team to make up for it. And I think the team, a team like the Pelicans will, will take advantage of that and the Blazers as well to sneak in. So that's enough of my rambling, but what are your eight for the West? All right, so uh, again, torn for the AC for me, but I have Warriors, Rockets, Spurs, have the Thunder fourth. I, f- I think they'll figure it out. Then the Timberwolves because their defense is still an issue to me, mm-hmm. as well as some mild injury concerns. Then the Pelicans and Blazers. And then for me, for eighth, is the Jazz without Gobert and the Nuggets without Millsap. Which team will do more with less in those others' absences to, to, to kind of seal the deal on that end? And I'm going with the Jazz only because 
their defense to me will will hold through even though offensively it's just it's just a nightmare and i think that the nuggets just remembering or not even remembering but Without with with having Millsap gone for three months, I, I don't know if I trust them in his absence. They, to me, this is a lot like last year's team where they'll hang around, but they're not going to make any definitive steps to to separate themselves from any of the other teams in that morass. You know what I mean? Yeah. The only thing I, the only thing that I kind of am confident in with the Nuggets, or maybe as a, as a silver lining, I guess, with the Millsap injury, is that they can kind of play like they did last year, where from December on, once they inserted Jokic into the starting lineup last year, they had the number one ranked offense in the league. So I think um, over the course of the first two to three weeks, we, we saw some periods where they were struggling to get it together offensively. You know, they're currently seventh offensively, but they were like in the teens for most of the season so far. And that was probably because of Millsap getting him integrated. Him getting out, obviously he's great defensively and, and is a good offensive player as well, but it could be a blessing in disguise in terms of they can get, go back to the comfortable style of play that they were last year and that they're so used to doing, which it means I think that their offense could take a jump up i think their defense will fall off they're currently 18th defensively i think that'll fall back to like 23 24 but i think their offense will jump up into the top five and i think that they can use that high-powered offense to win enough games in the west which is kind of what the rockets did last year okay i can definitely see that and also i mean you, you mentioned the blazers just being just amazing defensively i want to give a shout out to jackson lloyd you know right for the site mm-hmm. he had an article a couple days ago on um how the Portland Trailblazers is defending and i Looked at them. I've seen a couple of their games, but you know the eye test can sometimes be be a little shaky when you're not really paying attention. And so reading the article really gave me a lot of insight. So I just want to give a shout on that. That was that was a really good one. But yeah, as far as as far as that, if taking you kind of swayed me on the Nuggets. I, I could see it now that you said that because I had forgotten the impact that Jokic had. I just remembered them kind of going down the stretch, wondering if they were going to make it, if the Blazers were, and the narrative of Jokic or, or Nurkic, you know, I, <laughs> that was kind yeah. of going through my head last year. So that makes sense. And the Pelicans, to me, I, I, they, they've been kind of my, my secret favorite team <laughs> because Anthony Davis right now just having a career year, um, especially as a floor spacer from outside, as a playmaker, him and DeMarcus have really just been working together really well. Um, DeMarcus, you know, it's going to be interesting, and I think I'm going to go into this a little bit later, you as well, as to how well they play together moving forward with their collection of, of players they have right now. I know they've tried Jameer Nelson and Rajon Rondo in um, dual point guard roles, like dual point guard lineups. That hasn't really worked well. I think it's been better when they run them about 20 to 25 minutes apiece, or 20 to 22 minutes apiece, mm-hmm. where they both get some run, get about six points and six assists apiece. Because they're, they're at this point, neither of them are, are starting caliber points guards, but point guards while speaking but one of them have to start so i think if you have one of the two in rondo does a great job penetrating and also getting good looks for the two bigs jameer nelson does the great job getting looks for the bigs but also a way better outside shooter so and darius miller has been playing very well uh, especially his shooting where i think he's shooting somewhere in 40 percent from deep it's been pretty good so I, i really like where they're at but for me, I think the West is a lot more linear, top to bottom. It was just the Jazz and Nuggets that I was kind of shaky on. Yeah, and, and the thing with the, the bottom of the West is like so many teams like Grizzlies, Clippers, Jazz right now, even the Nuggets now are all dealing with injuries. So, you know, depending on which team gets healthy the fat, the soonest, or I should say whoever gets healthiest the quickest, um, will have a big advantage on the other team. So let's say Mike Conley returns in like a week or maybe two weeks and he comes back and the Grizz can go on a run. Or maybe... Tia Dosage and Gallinari come back in the next week or so. I don't. I, Tia Dosage I think is out for like another two or three weeks. But so, let's say the Clippers get healthy, you know, the, the quickest out of the uh, out of these three teams, then they can go on a run. Or the Jazz can get Gobert back. That helps them. Millsap out for three months is a long time. But um, th- th- that's the thing. Yeah. This bottom of the West is so hard to predict because almost all of the teams fighting for seven, eight, nine, ten are injured in some significant way or multiple ways. Yeah. So it's all about which team gets healthy first, and then we can kind of see how these teams are at their best see and I, i'm with you on that i'm just a little more shaky on the clippers because without patrick beverly there let's say you bring t dosage back are you starting him alongside lou williams because defensively that's just gonna get eaten alive you know what i mean yeah, yeah. and if not you bring in a wesley johnson and after that as, as far as the the guard depth i guess you could have um thornwell or another one of their of the guards who've been starting in their absence but I, do you trust that i mean even if you play through blake even if you know that injury that's going to take him out for six to ten games is coming, do you think that it'll be enough for them to tread water? 
Yeah, I mean, I think you probably you could start Thornwell. You could start Austin Rivers. I guess at shooting guard. Um, oh, I forgot about him. <laughs> well, well, there's a reason you forgot about him because it's not it's not going to provide <laughs> significant ways to get you to the playoffs. Um, but uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously that's that that backcourt would be a concern without Beverly moving forward for the rest of the season, and that's something that you know Blake would have to stay healthy for. Jordan would have to be good. Gallinari would have to be huge to make up for that backcourt. Um, I mean, the backcourt would be good de- offensively, but defensively it will just be a, a, a turnstile. So, um, and the, you know, Griffin's not great defensively. Gallinari has never been known for his defensive prowess. Jordan's a good defender, but he's not, you know, with him being you know manning everything, especially in that kind of lineup with Teodosic, Rivers, Gallinari, and Griffin. That's a lot of pressure on Jordan to handle defensively, so I'm not sure he could handle that. So I, I do understand your concerns with the Clippers because of Beverly being out. And then, of course, Gallinari can get re-injured. The Blake injury could happen. Teodosic could go down again. Um, you know, there's so many uh, reasons to think that that team could fall apart quickly. And, you know, Grizzlies too, and obviously the Jazz as well. Um, but I do understand your risk with the Clippers for sure. Definitely. Something right. to look forward, looking into, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, so those are our reevaluated playoff predictions. We'll probably revisit it maybe once a month to see, you know, every 10 or so, maybe 10 to 15 games, we'll kind of check back in and see how these teams are doing, especially the bottom of the West. But uh, with that being said, we will move on to our half-court heave in just a moment. All right, the half-court heave is our prediction segment. Um, I will do mine pretty quickly. It's more of a long-term half-court heave. Um, so my, my half-court heave is that at least one all-star or an all-star caliber player um, will be traded during this season. Um, now, I have to I had to add in the all-star caliber player because I think that a possibility is coming from the Grizzlies. Now, Gasol's been an all-star, but Conley has not. But there is a possibility that one of them is traded if they're pretty significantly under 500 by the trade deadline. I mean, especially if Gasol can continue to call out the coaching staff like this or Conley, you know, can comes back but is never really 100%. Um, and I think that the, the Grizz are the leading candidate, but also the Clippers there because they've, they, we've even had the rumors about a DeAndre Jordan trade as soon as recently as this week when they had that seven-game losing streak. They, of course, won against the Kings and they won against the Hawks. But um, there's some rumors to trade DeAndre Jordan, especially because he's going to be an unrestricted free agent hitting his age 30 season. Uh, and he can, he can command a max contract of over $200 million and uh, if I'm the Clippers, I'm not paying him that because I just don't think that this team has enough potential to grow, uh, and that locks you into a, a Griffin who's going to be twenty, who's twenty nine, I think. Um, Jordan at thirty, and and you know, it, it, Jordan's been less effective this year, and, and the reason to that is is Chris Paul. He's blocking less shots, um, so I, I, there are a lot of concerns with Jordan. So I would not be paying him in free agency unless I got a pretty good deal on him, which makes sense to trade him, especially if the Clippers, like the Grizzlies, are are pretty under five hundred or significantly under five hundred by the trade deadline. Um, so maybe a team like the, the Celtics kind of realize, hey, we can strike this year. This can be our year and make a win-now win move to take down the Cavs. Maybe they have that. I mean, because they have the assets to make a trade. They've got Marcus Smart. They've got draft picks. Um, they got their own first-round pick. they got the Memphis first-round pick. They've got that uh, Lakers-Kings pick, depending on where the Lakers pick lands this upcoming draft and then the Kings pick next year if they don't get the Lakers pick. They've got Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum. They've got enough assets to make a significant trade for a star player if they want to make a win-now move. Or maybe the Cavs realize that they need another piece in order to make the finals. Maybe they think that they can't even make it as currently constructed. Or maybe they think that they'll still make the finals, but they want to make the series with Golden State more competitive than uh, a gentleman's sweep last year uh, 4-1 against the Warriors. So maybe they use that Brooklyn pick and something else to trade for a significant piece um, like a DeAndre Jordan. So I think that there are teams out there that could make such moves. And I think that there are teams like the Grizzlies and Clippers who could be out of it by the trade deadline and realize that, you know what, in the Clippers case, we don't want to pay Jordan. Let's trade him and get something of value. Or in the Grizzlies case, like our team is expensive. We don't have any room to grow. Let's trade maybe Gasalo Conley or trade something else with them and see where we can go from there. So that's my half-court heed that at least one all-star or all-star caliber player will be traded during the season. And I'll swing it to you for your half-court heed of the week. All right. Well, mine is, is, is strictly in the state of Oklahoma City. I'm in the state of Oklahoma City. <laughs> <laughs> the team in Oklahoma City. Wow. <laughs> Turkey really getting to me. <laughs> but um, just seeing the way they've been playing and, you know, they, they had a really good win against the Warriors, which... I was happy to see, you know, even if, quote-unquote, Kevin Durant shouldn't have played with his ankle injury and, you know, they really weren't ready for the intensity of Oklahoma, it was a good one to see. But then, 
you lose a, a squeaker to Detroit when you were up by 15 to third. You really shouldn't have had that. And then you, you don't even show up against the Dallas Mavericks. And, and that in itself, the Dallas Mavericks, who have just one of the worst teams in the NBA. No, 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 no knock on them, but they are. <laughs> and you weren't even in the game by the end of the first quarter. It, it, it's just been it's just been bad. Defensively, a very solid team. Offensively, they're still trying to gel. And I think that it takes more time. I'm, I'm I I wish they were a little bit better, at least over 500 at this point in time. But I'm willing to give them some some leeway. However, I do think due to the semi heavy expectations that surround OKC. If they keep meandering around this barely under 500 level after Christmas, Billy Donovan may seriously be in the hot seat. I think the management at Sam Price is going to be like, hey, I made these moves. I brought in this talent. You have an actual <laughs> a capable bench that is actually keeping level with the team, the opposition, when Russell Westbrook sits. And he even he hasn't been playing as well as he was last year, or, or I even go as far as the last two years. He just seems out of sorts. I'm not sure why, but he, he's not really all the way there. But even with all these different factors right now, OKC has enough talent that you're, you could you could win while trying to make it work. You know what I mean? They shouldn't be at this level after Christmas. It takes time to gel. It takes time to get everything working together. But I could see a head rolling around that time if – they're still, you know, get one good win against a solid team, lose two games against two teams that are really fighting in the playoff bubble, then come back and take another. You know, if they keep around this up and down, I could see Billy Donovan being gone because defensively he's making his mark. OKC has been playing very well on that end. But offensively, you're a coach. You have a scheme. You know what you're supposed to be doing. If you see a team, if you see a team devolving into you know, just jacking up shots in the, in the end of a quarter, Russell Westbrook took, I don't know what, three threes in that last um, quarter against Detroit in the last two minutes Mm -hmm. to either get the lead or tie. When two of those three threes he took, Paul George was wide open, and he just chucked it up. And one he, I think, airballed, and it was out of fatigue. I get it. But you're not with the roster you had last year. You have Paul George right there on the wing, wide open, if you just looked to your left. You can't, as a coach, I mean, I could see that and go crazy here, but I'm just a fan. As a coach, you could see (laughs) that. Call a timeout. Get on your star player and say, hey, let's make something happen. Let's change that. And I don't know if Billy Donovan has that voice. It's been three seasons now, and he, he says the right things. But I don't know. The team just doesn't – they're responding, quote-unquote, sort of, but they're not really making the mark of someone who, who, who would put their foot down and say, hey, we need to shake this up and play the right way. You know what I mean? So that's that's my long half-court heave there. <laughs> uh, no, I, I totally understand that. And I'm actually going to get into uh, the Thunder in a little bit in our next segment. But uh, I, I appreciate the half-court heave. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. See, I was actually trying to mess around with you there because I wanted to talk about it real quick to transition into three points. You see, that's that's what I was going for. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm playing my mistake there. So now, you know, having done half-court heave, we are now going to move to the three points. Let's get it. And now, here are the three points. All right, Eric. So we are going to move to three points. I'm going to share mine really quick since I know we both share the Grizzlies on the three points, but I think mine leads right into yours. So I'm just going to start mm-hmm. really quick on um, Conley and Mike Conley and how his absence only showcases his worth more for the Memphis Grizzlies on the offensive end. Um, during the first 13 games of the season that Conley played, the Grizzlies had averaged 100.2 points per game. However, since Conley has been gone, um, these past five games do um, these past five games up to tonight's loss to the Nets, they've averaged just ninety four point eight, and you can see that they're really struggling to find a flow offensively. You you mentioned earlier how it's hard to get Marcus Gasol touches in the post when teams can easily start doubling or sending a guy over off the weak side to to kind of you know just put the threat out there to kind of shake up Marcus Marcus Gasol's flow, and teams are doing that more and more. Um, the Grizzlies have shown that because right now they rank 28th in pace. They're 27th in scoring um, at 99.4 points per game. And they're 28th with a 32, uh, 32.4 field goal percentage or 30, a 32.0% um, field goal percentage. So they're, they're really just struggling from the field, struggling to, to get the ball in the basket and can't really seem to get a pace offensively. 
Um, Chalmers has has been back, has been starting in Conley's steed, but he's really been struggling. He's had three or more turnovers in three of the last four games. He's shooting 36% overall from the field, and he's gone four for 21 from three. So he, he really hasn't been there mm-hmm. on the offensive end to at any place take up Conley's take up a Conley's loss has has had for the Grizzlies. And it's kind of reminding me of, of the 2015 end of the season into the playoffs when we had to really rely, not we, the Grizzlies, I was writing for them back then, they had to rely on Nick Calathis, and mm-hmm. oh my gosh, what a struggle <laughs> that was. And so, looking at it now, you would think, hey, Chalmers is a little bit better, but maybe, you know, he he's 31, he's not the same player that he was then, even when he was in Miami, he was a, a fourth banana to the big three, a fifth banana at times when Haslam had his jumper going. So, you know, he he's struggling. I don't know, just offensively, you could see quite tangibly how the Grizzlies need Conley just to steady them just to he's really coming to his own the last three seasons as an offensive star in his own right not just getting players involved but really putting the ball in the basket himself and without that you know you really have players who who struggle to generate that kind of offense especially with defenses tailored to stop them and whatever happens with with this Grizzlies roster moving forward I'm gonna you know turn this over to you it is obvious that Conley is an invaluable conductor for this offense and that they do miss him and you know you would hope that they wouldn't be so so dependent on Conley and Gasol but they are it is what it is and you know you just got to hope that they can find some footing moving forward yeah um I'll just jump into my first point which is it's very similar to my half court heat but it's kind of just from the perspective of the Grizzlies And, and basically it's like you know, if the Grizzlies, if I'm the Grizzlies and I'm significantly below 500, you know, when the trade that deadline is approaching, I think I pull the plug and and trade Conley or Gasol. Probably Gasol uh, be easier to trade Gasol. Um, it's just because there's just very little room for this team to grow. Um, and it really, I mean, when this team's fully healthy, wh- what are they at best? I mean, a six seed uh, in the Western Conference. I mean, if this team was fully healthy, we probably pick them to be a six, seven, or eight seed. I mean. That's just that's just kind of the potential and the ceiling of the team, and that's not exactly what you want to have when your team is this expensive and not really producing enough results. Of course, injuries continue to plague them. We've got the Conley injury. Parsons, you know, still can't play more than twenty minutes and and can't really you know uh, shoulder a big burden um, on those knees. Um, and I think injuries can continue to plague them moving forward. Chalmers is an injury risk. Uh, Tyreek Evans is an injury risk. Uh, they've already got guys like Jermichael Green who've gotten hurt. Um, and you mentioned how much they miss Conley, and, and that they've had to rely on a bunch of guys like Chalmers and and Tyreek Evans has been a, has had a really great year. I mean, seventeen point seven points per game, five point one rebounds, three point four assists. But you look at his shooting, and he's shooting fifty percent from the field. He's a career forty four point six, so he's shooting way above career norms. And then the three point shooting, he's shooting forty one point three percent from three. He's a career thirty percent shooter from three. That's now, going down. <laughs> that yeah, that's gonna go down. I mean, in recent years, like two thousand fifteen, sixteen, he shot thirty eight percent, but he only played twenty five games. Last year he shot thirty five point six percent. Um so that forty one percent is gonna come down and so that'll probably limit his effectiveness or his contribution. So, you know, even as Conley can get back and get back into you know playing shape and stay healthy, but Tyreek Evans is is due for a regression as well. Um, and you know guys like Chalmers, as you mentioned, is due for a regression or, or already regressing for that matter. Um, so for that, like because of that, I, I think you can get a, a significant enough return for Conley or Gasol to justify training them and, and kind of start a quote unquote rebuild because it won't be a full rebuild because you know they ha- they still are a pretty old and expensive team. They're not really. They're not buying into the process right now, and they're not going to create it. They're not going to create their own Memphis process. But I think that trading one of them to get a good return is what's best for the franchise moving forward. So that's my first point, and I'll swing it back to you for your second. All right, so I will start with a little warning here. I know it is November. You know we're going into December, so that it, that's coming very hot. But I'm already I already have an eye toward the trade deadline, <laughs> and I think that the new NBA trade deadline is going to force teams to make tougher decisions. Okay, I don't think I know we all do yeah. that. This new trade deadline is going to force teams to make tougher decisions much earlier than usual. Um, now the trade deadline is now that the trade deadline is before the All Star break. Teams like the Mavs, the Clippers, the Pelicans, and the Pacers are really going to evaluate their personnel and any possible moves that they may want to make as early as as right now. I put the Clippers in because with DeAndre Jordan being a free agent next year, you know you may want to move them. You may see, as you said already, 
hey, we're not really going anywhere. Let's even get some value for him right now. Let's call Cleveland, see if they want an elite rim protector who will struggle against Golden State. You know, let's call let's call someone else to see if we can get any anyone on, on the DeAndre Jordan train. Um, the Mavericks have really let Neuro's Noel just kind of waste away. I mean, they obviously feel Dwight Powell is a more important part of the future. But, you know, whatever the case may be, they do have they they know at this point i think it's safe to say that they're that no one's no well in the mass might go their separate ways that's just me thinking that so if you are going to let him just walk why not see if you can flip him for some value you know maybe a, a second round pick maybe a, a low-end prospect just something because the mavs obviously are at the dregs of the western conference and really the nba the pelicans obviously with deandre with um deandre with um demarcus cousins they they've been playing really solid and and by no means should they just freak out and, and send cousins packing but he is an unrestricted free agent and that does carry some risk for the pelicans because they can't replace the all-star if you choose to switch teams in july so they could really switch between buyer and seller anytime over the next 10 weeks but with you know with the games kind of going at with them being what they're at right now which is kind of a middle of the pack fighting for middle of the pack fighting for you know, seventh, eighth, anywhere between the sixth and eighth seed to me, they really have to evaluate almost daily. Hey, is this going to work? Are we, or do we think we're going to make the playoffs? Are we going to be on the outside looking in? And then, so what will cousins think is his bond with Anthony Davis strong enough that, Hey, he'll really consider us come free agency, especially with the lack of, of big money suitors that may potentially be out there or will, you know, he's always, um, Cousins is very up and down, so who knows what he might think. Should we flip him? That's the question. And the Pacers I had last because they're playing a lot better than we all thought that they would coming in now. But do we think they're going to be a playoff team? More importantly, do they think they're going to be a playoff team? And if they don't, then they have a couple of pieces on their roster that could look really good for some playoff teams heading into May. And powerful um, Thaddeus Young. 14 million dollar play option for next season while Corey joseph has one year worth 7.9 million you also have bojan bojanovic and darren collison on lightly guaranteed contracts into next year all of those players could be good fits for a washington for a cleveland for a milwaukee you know if the price is right so do the pacers say hey you know this we're, we're not gonna make the playoffs let's try to let's play these guys up give them some minutes and then flip them or hey we, we might be in the mix let's just turn it on and and keep rolling what we got or even better hey we might be able to make i don't know the sixth seed bearing some injury let's make a trade for an extra piece that a veteran piece that might be able to help us on the bio markets you know so for me those four teams and a host of many others are really going to have to start thinking about what their plans are before trade deadline actually comes but they're going to be evaluating it now in december whereas previous years they were evaluating it more january heading up to the trade deadline yeah and now i'm gonna swing it over to you yeah i mean yeah i mean the trade deadline was already one of the most fascinating parts or, or, or times of the season but the fact that they moved it up makes it you know give some teams some risk analysis because if the pelicans are like right at the brink like the ac or maybe they're the ninth c but one game out but they say you know what they have to decide do we think we can make the playoffs if not do we pull the, the plug and trade cousins but if we trade Cousins and then we don't get a nice return and then, you know, Cousins goes on to be really successful and we fall apart, that's a bad look. But then if they keep him and miss the playoffs and he leaves as a free agent, that's also a bad look. So, you know, there's a high risk, but potentially a high reward for some of those teams, whether they're sellers or buyers. So I think that's going to make the trade deadline season or really just trade season that much more fascinating. Um, so I appreciate that third, uh, second point. So I'm going to move to my second point. And interestingly enough, all of my three points are about the Western Conference. But um, <laughs> my second point is that the Rockets are flying high. Uh, no pun intended. But they have won four uh, straight games. They're 9-1 and one in their last 10 games. Overall, for the season, they're second offensively, seventh defensively. I'm not sure anyone would expect seventh defensively for the team. They have a net rating of 10.4, which is second in the league to the Warriors, who, of course, are kind of on their own level. But the Rockets are catching up to the Warriors statistically for speaking, not really on the court um, in a head-to-head series, but statistically, the Rockets are catching up to the Warriors, and particularly, I want to focus on the stretch since Chris Paul returned, because he's played in these in these past four games. Since Chris Paul returned, the Rockets have a 119.9 offensive rating, which is by far number one in the league, 
a staggering 95.9 defensive rating, which is also tied for number one in the league. And get this, I hope you're sitting down. They have a net rating <laughs> of 24.1 in the past four games since Chris Ball has returned. They are blowing teams out. I mean, they played the Knicks last night. They they went down 25-5. to five. And then they ended up winning by 15 points. I mean, that's how crazy. I mean, they, they just were sleeping for about a quarter and a half. And then they said, you know what? We're so much better than you. And the Knicks didn't have Porzingis or Cantor. And then they just blew him out. But um, another aspect of Chris Paul's return is that the Rockets are shooting 43% on three-pointers since he's returned. And, you know, that makes it makes sense that the shooting would improve with Chris Paul because he's a great passer. And they always have one of Paulo Harden on the floor, which means that they're always generating good looks. But I'm really interested to see how they shoot the rest of the season because obviously 43% as a team is, is not going to sustain, but maybe they can settle in at like 38%. And that would be huge because they take so many of them that if they, if they hit at a better rate, they're going to be even more unstoppable than they already are. Um, but really the overall thought after watching Chris Paul in these past four games, he, he's looked good overall. He's obviously been a little bit rusty, still getting used to the system, still getting used to his, his minutes restriction. But the thing, the key thing to take away with the Rockets is that Chris Paul is going to run a, about half of his minutes, if not more, against bench units, which is just unfair. I mean, you, it's not fair. you I, I mean, I was watching. Um, I sometimes I like to watch the opposing teams when I watch the Rockets games, and I watch all of them because I write, for, I cover them for Hoops Habit, of course. Um, when I watch the Rockets games, sometimes I like to wa- uh, listen to the uh, the other teams' broadcast crew just to get a better perspective of, of that team and you know what they've been going through and you always hear these past four games you always hear and James Harden has been subbed out oh but Chris Paul is coming back in that's a luxury to have <laughs> yeah it is when you bring in Chris <laughs> Paul to play against a, a backup uh, point guards and, and, and other backcourts which is just unfair so you know having one of Paul or Harden on the floor at all times is, is absurd the offense should never really go into a lull because one of them is on the floor and they can create good shots for themselves or others. And really, the, the, the team is finally getting healthy. I mean, they've only had their full healthy rotation for about two to three games so far this season. Now, Nene has just went down with a shoulder injury. He could be out for the next game or two. So this team has never really been fully healthy for a significant stretch, which is why they could even be better moving forward, which is just scary to think about because they've been so good so far. So I just want to touch upon the Rockets. They're flying high. They're not going to beat the Warriors, of course, but they, you know, against every other team except the Warriors in the regular season, their recipe of having Chris Paul and Harden and good defensive wings and guys like Capella and and good shooters is a recipe for disaster for every other team in the league except Golden State. So that's my second point. Rockets are flying high. I'll swing it back to you for your final point of the week. Okay, I just got a brief comment. When you were bringing down those stats, and even when I first saw it, that's all I can think of. It's not fair. And the Brooklyn Nets are going to have a lot of fun playing them this week, I think, when they're even more shorthanded than the Knicks are. And I don't know, man. Having two all-world playmakers that can just distribute and just make life easy for them and just horrible for the opposition – I, where are the people at that said that they wouldn't gel well together? That Actually, yeah. that was me. But um, <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. I don't think I speak for everyone else, but that was crazy because these two right now, it, it's even to the Warriors when they do play them again. And that's going to be an interesting game because, you know, if you take away open night jitters and whatever you may say for that, they, they are a really good matchup. They're all If they're all healthy and these shooters are just getting wide open looks courtesy of just great – penetration and, and dribbling mastery by Paul and Harden. I don't know, man. You, I'm gushing over them just almost as much as you are, and I don't even like the Rockets, man, but <laughs> they're just they're something else. But, okay, I'm going to go to my third point. I'm going to swing it over to East. You know, it hasn't been done for a couple of weeks, so I think I'm going to be the person to do it. Let's just marvel at LeBron James, man. Year 15, <laughs> all right? The Cavs, <laughs> they're, they're third in the East. They're 12-7. and seven. Uh, We get it. They're not really playing. You know, they're still taking time to gel. You know, I'm going to go into a little bit later some further struggles they've been having just on the personnel side. But, you know, they're kind of going through some stuff right now. But LeBron, man, wow. I mean, his defense obviously is nowhere near where it was. I mean, we still think he can pick it up. Uh, Even that, his age, I mean, on the defensive end is where it usually starts to slip. You know, for these for these superstars. So we'll see how that goes. But he's just taking on such enormous load. And at, at 28.5 points per game, 8.6 assists, and 7.8 rebounds in 37.7 minutes per game. 
And those numbers are crazy, but he's posting them while scoring at his most efficient rate ever. His highest true shooting percentage was in 2013-2014, and that was 64.9%. He's currently bested that with a 66.1% mark this season. That's crazy. He's shooting 58% from the field and 42.2% on three-pointers, which are both career highs. And he's also, when, when, it's the, when it matters the most, he's coming through. He has 9.9 fourth-quarter points, and that leads the league by a bit. He's second in points in the clutch. And he's only he, he has 60, and he's only behind, ironically, Kyrie Irving, who has 65. But he's shooting 62.2% in the clutch. And it, it, it's just crazy, man. He had, a, a, in the Cavs, 119-109 win over the Brooklyn Nets. He had 23 in the fourth. He had 18 in a row at one point. Um, against the, the Hornets in this last one, the Cavs were down 98-93 with three minutes left. He scored the team's next six points to tie the game. Then J.R. Smith got the lead with the, with, the, with the free throw. And then LeBron James came with some lockdown D on Kemba Walker to secure the win. I, I can't say enough about LeBron. I don't think anyone really can. But to be doing this much at, at, at this stage in his career, it's mind-boggling. I don't think we give enough respect because we're like, oh, it's LeBron. It's what he does. And yes, it's what he does. But I, I can't name another superstar in year 15 of, of any of any sport that was actually not go any sport. Let's just stick to basketball. But year 15 in the NBA, I can't think of a player who's just been that dominant as LeBron. Just still, just still the best player in the world. I don't even care what Kevin Durant says about some imaginary torch he took away. You didn't take it, Kevin. You were mm-hmm. getting twitter fingers because LeBron still holds that. And, and that's all I got for the third point. I don't know if you want all right, yeah, and before I get to my third point, you, you were talking about um, someone – you don't know if people had uh, – a different NBA player had been this good in his 15th season. The only person I can think of is Carl Malone who was an all-star up until 38 years old, <laughs> which is just ridiculous. Oh, wow. I mean in his age 15 season, he averaged 23.2 points per game, 8.3 rebounds, 4.5 assists, um, shooting almost 50% from the field. So he was great in his Jeez. year 15, but I think LeBron's been just as good, if, not, if probably better actually. But I just wanted to throw that out there. And I'll go to my third point, which is again, as I mentioned, all three points are in the Western Conference. But it's really, it's still hard for me to press the panic button for the Thunder. I, I'm getting close to doing it, but I'm not doing it yet. And the reason, the main reason why I'm not panicking is because they have a good net rating. Their 3.4 net rating is good for sixth in the league, and they have the second best defense in the league. So they have the recipe to win games if they can figure out some of their offensive issues in crunch time, which has obviously been their biggest need. I mean, they, they played well for about three quarters, and then the fourth quarter, their offense just turns into like a rec league, like an intramural scrimmage, um, between three ISO players. If they can figure that out, if they can figure that out somewhat, like they don't have to figure out some kind of incredible offensive system. Like they're not going to implement like Mike D'Antoni's plan offensive system or anything like that. If they can just figure out how to move the ball around, not do ISO, 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 your turn, my turn, your turn, my turn, their defense is already good enough to win games. And I always tend to believe that talent will work itself out and prevail, even if it takes until December or January, which is why I think that eventually they just have so much talent and they all, I assume all three of them have a strong will to, a will to win. I assume, I mean, you want to assume that they all have such a strong will to win that they will be willing to sacrifice. Like, like I was mentioning my second point about the Rockets, it really looks like Chris Paul is willing to take a little bit of a step back. He knows that James Harden team, he knows that Chris Paul is the one who really came here to win with Harden. So he knows that, you know what, this is James' team. He's playing really well. Let me take a step back, still be my great self, but just in a more reduced role. So I want to know if, if Russ Mello and Paul George are going to do that, if they really want to win. And, um, you know, Russ has been struggling. He's only shooting 40% from the field. He has a career low true shooting percentage. His lowest player efficiency rating and win share is per 48 minutes since 2009-2010. You know, there are questions about him being fully healthy. He had that, like, knee injection in training camp. Um, or maybe he's just not comfortable trying to force uh, to force fit Mello and George in. I'm not sure what the issue is. But if they can just figure out some of their offensive issues, I think that their defense is good enough. And eventually they'll be better in crunch time, and that's why I'm not pressing the panic button, but I'm close to doing it, I must admit. But uh, that'll wrap it up for our, our three points of the week, and in just a moment we'll get on to something foul. Now it's time for something foul. <laughs> All right, so for something foul for some new listeners is basically our worst of the week category, and uh, I'm going to go pretty quick. It's kind of a broad kind of I, – I struggled to come up with a something foul for this week, but I think ultimately I think it's about us 
how we analyzed the first two-ish weeks of the season. Because after the first two or so weeks, we had the Magic, the Grizzlies, and the Clippers all in the top three or top two of their conferences. And as we mentioned in the baseline question and periodically throughout this episode, they have all fallen off a cliff. Um, so I, I kind of get that. Obviously, NBA writers, analysts, podcasters, whatever, need to provide content. And, you know, things you know, and some things that happen in the first two weeks can sustain over the course of the season, but a lot of things don't. Like the Magic shooting, the Grizzlies and Clippers staying healthy and winning at an elite rate, and a, a host of other things just don't stay the same. Um, but things do, like the Cavs having a bad defense will probably sustain over the course of the entire season. The Rockets having a great offense. Things like that, you know, will sustain. Certain players you know will shoot well, and certain players you know are just not that good of shooters. Um, but I think that moving forward, it's important that you know, we, we provide this content in the first two weeks, two to three weeks of the season because we want to and because there's a need for it. But we really, really have to take all the results and stats from the first two or so weeks of the season with a huge grain of salt moving forward because we have seen this year and really every year how different things can change from, you know, the first two weeks to where we are now in the last week of November. Things can change dramatically like we've seen with the Grizzlies, Clippers, and Magic. So moving forward in the next couple of years, we got to start taking these results and stats from the early part of the season with a huge grain of salt while still providing the good content. Um, so that's my something foul of the week. It's not really that harsh, but it is something foul. It's kind of bothering me so far, but uh, I'll, I'll swing it to you for your something foul. Okay, well, well, my something foul, I, I, I hesitate and want to say something sad, but it's just Derrick Rose, man. Over the weekend, you know, news broke that he was taking a step back from the Cavaliers and going to just deliberate whether he wants to work toward returning from a sprained ankle to rejoin the Cavaliers this season or if he wants to continue, to continue his NBA career. And I get it. You know, he's, he's had a rough – he's played okay this year, but he's had, he's had a rough break with that injury, um, that rolled ankle he had against uh, Greg Monroe that was kind of a uh, it was later ruled a flagrant foul but it wasn't it was just ruled a common foul then but he's missed 12 of the Cavs 19 games this season including the past eight because that sprained left ankle and I, I definitely understand you know he why he feels the way he does as far as just kind of the mental toll from all these injuries I actually can never understand it but I could <laughs> sympathize with it you know and it's just, it's just a bad deal. His, his his stands are annoying, and so that makes it even worse, you know. And he was playing okay, so it's it's kind of sad to see. You know, you, you he was the youngest NBA MVP in history. You know, he he just had a, a really good career before it was sh- shortened by injuries. I'm not saying it's over, but you know, if you're taking a step back like this, you have to wonder. And so I don't know. Obviously, LeBron said, you know, whatever works. He just wants the best for Derek. Obviously, you know, as an NBA fan, we want to see him play well if he's going to play. If not, I'm sure his career will be one of much debate, you know, just in yeah. general as how good he was. You know, what was his impact? You know, he, he had his his issues in New York and his last couple of years in Chicago. But just how we look back on his career. Even right now, some of us have written him off, kind of overstated how well he did play this year, while others of us seem to have, like, underestimated. You know, he's going to be one that brings about great division, I can see, among NBA fans. So I just wanted to just look at that, give a quick touch, and just go, wow, we're feeling for you, man, but... It sucks. It just sucks. Yeah, and before Careers, we move on life. to the and one, um, I, I, I'm pretty sure every MVP in NBA history has made the Hall of Fame, and, and Rose will be a very, very interesting case because I think yes. if this would be the if this is the end of his career, I don't think he would get in, just because I don't think after that MVP season he's just had enough. He, he just hasn't had enough to get into the Hall of Fame. But it, you know, it's interesting because he has won an MVP, youngest MVP in history, and every MVP in history has made the Hall of Fame. But I think this is he's kind of more of an extreme case that. I think most likely if this is the end, he probably won't get in. But it is something to watch, obviously, you know, years from now. But that's just something that pops in my head because it's very interesting to see who gets in the Hall of Fame and the MVPs who make the Hall of Fame. And so just something I want to mention before we move on. I actually, oh, actually, yeah, so if I could, I had a question yeah. for you. What is another I'm good with these spur of the moment questions, but what play would you compare Derrick Rose to? And not just like type of player, but in the sense that he was just electrifying, young, you know, really good. And then injuries just kind of sapped him away. But the the amount of time that elapsed between him being a star one sec a star go-to player to him being a role player what was that you know i mean one of the players that i really like and enjoy kind of you know there was a 30 for 30 on the magic back in the 90s and and, and penny hardaway was just so so good i think it's i think it was un, he's still underrated how good penny hardaway's kind of peak was with those orlando teams but then i mean he got hurt like 
I think it was like 97, 98, he got hurt and, you know, he was fine moving forward. But we're talking about a guy who was like 22 points and seven assists to a guy who became a routine, like 12 points and four assists. Like he just, the injuries killed him and he was so good for like three or four to five years, took the magic with, with Shaq to the finals. Um, once those injuries hit, he went downhill really fast and, and ended his career in a really, really sour note. So obviously very different playing styles, but in terms of injuries corrupting a career, I think that um, I'd have to go with Hardaway for that kind of comparison. I was actually thinking the exact same person when you said that. I was like, okay, I, I figured me and you'd be of like mind, but I just wanted to see what you'd think. But yeah, exactly. Just a star, point guard, you know, played well his early years, had an injury, and literally just seemed to evolve into a, a role player overnight. Was never the same. You know, but that was just something I thought of. But, um, all right, are you ready to go to the end one? Yeah, let's do it. All right, give us just a couple moments and we're going to be right here with the end one. Finally, it's time for the end one. All right, Eric, so. With the end one, I, I want to hear yours real quick. What do you, what do you have? Um, so mine's again kind of like my half court. He is is more long term, but I think it's kind of fo- important for people to keep an eye out on teams that are really struggling more than expected. So teams like the Hornets, Thunder, and of course the Grizzlies, Clippers, and Magic, who we've talked about a lot on the show. Um, keeping an eye out on them because if they continue to struggle. They could they, these teams themselves could significantly change the trade season. So I, I mentioned, you know, in one of your uh, three points, you mentioned some teams that could be really important players in trade deadline season, like the Pelicans, Pacers, Mavericks. Even these teams, Hornets, Thunder, Grizzlies, Clippers, Magic. Some will be sellers, maybe like Clippers and Hornets or whatever, maybe Grizzlies. But some, like the Thunder, can make a, a, a move to make a, get another piece if things are still not working out. You know, I think that they're, they're really devoted to winning, so I think that they or the Hornets, for the matter, or maybe even the Clippers, some, some teams can get desperate and um, really force a win-now trade. So I think that if these teams continue to struggle, they will significantly change the trade season, which is why it's important to keep an eye on them. And I'll swing it to you for your end one. All right, so for mine, it's it's the San Antonio Spurs. It was announced on Facebook by none other than Tony Parker himself that out of nowhere, he will be available for Monday's game against the Mavericks. And I, to that, all I have to say is that that's awesome. You know, to see, I, we don't know how he'll play. Obviously, he'll be on a minutes restriction just coming back. Will he start? Will, that, all that doesn't matter. To see a legend, you know, come in after a rough injury last year in the playoffs and, and be able to come back and say he's healthy and that he will be playing again, that's, that's, that's always just all you can do is show love to that. And for me, I'm not even really a Spurs fan, but Tony Parker, my entire NBA watching career has been there. He's just a standby. And to see him be able to come back to health and be ready to play, is good, and I think it will be a boost for San Antonio, especially as they struggle to come to terms with how long Kawhi will be out. Because at this point, nobody knows. But at least have Tony Parker back is surely a, a bright side of, of a pretty, I don't want to say dark situation, but a pretty uncertain future for them, at least in the immediate term. Yeah, and it would be nice to see Parker back, and and even another and one about the Spurs could be, you know, when is Kawhi coming back? Because this in, Popovich had that quote where he was like, "I've never seen an injury like this." Like, no, no one expected Parker to return before Kawhi, and there's still no timetable for Kawhi's return, and they're playing fine without him. But obviously, to, to reach their peak, they need Kawhi at his best. So that's another and one. You know, not not only Parker's return, but the next couple of weeks or maybe month, when is Kawhi coming back? And then how does he look when he comes back alongside Parker and Rudy Gay and, and reformed or uh, revitalized Marcus Aldridge? So the Spurs are one of the more interesting teams to watch over the next month of the season. Um, and that'll do it for this week's episode of the 94 Feet Report NBA podcast. Of course, I'm your host, um, as always, alongside Corbin Eric Spropolis. Follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros MBA. Follow our show and website on Twitter at the 94 Feet Report and check out our website at 94FeetReport.com. Um, Corbin, you can throw out where everyone can follow you and your work. All right. At Corbin Ford MBA is kind of where I do my little random NBA tweets. Haven't been doing a lot of work writing-wise yet. I'm hoping to get started in the next couple of weeks just 
between work and school is kind of getting ahead of me here. But when it does, I will definitely just be retweeting the mess out of it. So be sure to find me there. <laughs> You'll see when I get it. <laughs> All right, guys. And uh, we will be back later this week, returning with our kind of unedited, free-flowing, uh, shorter version of the podcast later this week, probably around Thursday. Um, so be on the lookout for that. But, of course, have a great week of watching NBA basketball. Until then, take care.